fear, the Scripture tells us. And being a child of God should help take away the fear. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Does anyone need a handout for the message tonight? Anybody need a handout for the sermon tonight? Anybody? Any hands up? No? Everyone's good? All right. Right over there, a couple. I think Gary's taking care of the side room there for me. Thank you, Gary. So I think everyone good is here. I think in the side right behind you right over there. So thanks for grabbing those. The book of Jude, the book of Jude tonight, we are almost there, and then there were two, that's where we're at, the book of Jude tonight. Some people say that the Bible is a hard book to understand, and if we could understand all of it, then I don't think it'd be God's word, so we should, we're never going to understand all of it. But in all honesty, the hardest book of the Bible, the highest grade level, reading level of any book of the Bible would be the book of Jude. It's about a ninth grade reading level is what it is at. And so, but we'll look at it tonight. We'll break it down some and see some things that are important to us. And we will be on our way. We'll start reading in verse number one. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitations, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a rallying accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, 
and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perish in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others say with fire, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. All right, for the next few minutes, there's been about 100 people get up and walk in and out of here. For 20, 25 minutes, I think we can sit here and pay attention to the word of God for a little bit of time tonight. Let's do this. Let's put some, let me give you some thoughts. Sometimes go to the restroom before service. That's a great way to do it. Now, let me also tell you, I have four children, and you can have them go to the restroom before service, and they might still need to go during the service. Don't have them mess up a chair. Go ahead and take them to the bathroom if they need to. But, th but when we move all around, we distract people from getting what's going on. And so, and one of the things that we do, one of the reasons why we have a Wednesday night in here and why the kids are in here is not so they can be bored by hearing pastor not having a fun class like they did during Sundays. It's to teach them how to sit in church. Because if they don't learn at a young age how to sit in church, they're going to have to be entertained their entire lives when they come into church. And if you come to church to be entertained, I know I'm entertaining at times, but not all the time. And there are sometimes, like reading through the middle of some of those verses right there, there's a lot of heavy stuff right there that we just read. And you say, are you going to break down all that? No, because I don't even know what some of it's talking about. I don't think anybody knows what it's all except the Lord. And he'll, I'll ask him when we get to heaven to explain the few things I don't get right there. But for the next few minutes, let's just focus in and uh, do our best. And kids, I do have a treat. 
Sour Patch Kids is the treat tonight. So you can either be have a Sour Patch Kid or be sour that you didn't get any, one or the other tonight. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll dive right on into the message. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for this evening, and we thank you for loving us and being our God and being in control of all things. Pray you bless our service, the time that we have, the next few minutes. Please remove distractions, and I pray that you just help us get through this passage tonight and help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love how a lot of these small epistles all begin with the person's name, and then it says, the servant of Jesus Christ. There is no greater title in all the world for any of us than to be a servant of Christ. You know, like I started out, I'm an apostle, I'm a teacher, I'm all these. No, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest title any of us could ever hold, is being a servant of Christ. Paul had a lot of accolades he could claim, but Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And so we look at Jude tonight, we're going to dive right in. Who wrote the book of Jude? Are you ready? Jude wrote it. I know that's real hard and for you to get tonight. And when we talk about Jude, this is, is Jesus' half-brother, Jude. We mentioned the Bible says right there in verse number one, it says, the brother of James. To them there are, and so, and James was his brother. They were the half-brothers of Jesus. James wrote the book of James. James, and see, that all makes sense, right? We looked at Sunday. Remember on Sunday, his family thought he was crazy, right? It wasn't until really after he died and rose again that they really came to him and they believed in him and were willing to live for him and give their lives for the gospel. And so we see that Jude, Jesus' half-brother, is probably the one who wrote this. Who did he write it to? Now, we don't know who he's writing it to directly. We know indirectly that he's writing it to the sanctified, to them that are sanctified or set apart by God the Father. So in all honesty, he's writing it for us today. He's writing it to anyone who knows the Lord, is who the book is written for. And so he probably wrote it, when did he write it? Probably around 70 A.D., maybe a little bit before, because there's no mention of the temple being destroyed. That's why many believe it was before that time around there. What is the purpose of the book of Jude. The, book, the purpose of the book is to learn to fight for the truth. Learn to fight for the truth. Let's look at verse 1 through 3 again. We'll go through and I'm going to give you some thoughts as we go through here. But there's some great things that we need to pick up on in this short little book for us tonight. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father... And preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You just think about some of those words. You think about the word sanctified there. You think about the word preserved. You think about the word called. Those are awesome words. All that the Lord has done for us. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Look at verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, encourage you, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Purpose of the book, to fight for truth. In fact, truth demands the fact that it be defended. The truth deserves that. That's what should happen with the truth. You see, tonight, those of us who believe the Word of God, 
and believe that God's word is our final authority and believe that God's word is true and we believe the doctrines that are found in God's word, I want you to understand something. We should be willing to stand up and fight for the truth of God's word. We are willing today to stand up and fight for things that don't even matter and for causes that don't matter, but it comes to the truth. That's what we're supposed to fight for. And when we look at this, I want to give you some thoughts tonight to help us with this. The first one is this. We see the right response. What's the right response? When truth is being attacked, what is the right response? That's the time to fight. Look at verse 3 again. It says, And exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend to fight, to struggle, to agonize, to be willing to endure some pain and discomfort in order to hold to the truth. If something's important to you, you will struggle for it. The more important something is, the more you will struggle. Let's just say tonight that you're at the mall. And you, get, you go to the Montclair Mall. The, I don't care what part of the mall I'm in. The first thing I smell is those Cinnabon. The, that's, it's wicked to have that smell even in there. Because that's the first thing I smell. And what do I want? I want a cinnamon roll with frosting on it, hot, fresh. That's what I want every time I walk in that mall. Because that's the first thing I smell. I don't care if I'm at the opposite end of that mall. I smell it. Like, I don't know, Gary and John, do you guys still walk around that? Didn't you guys used to walk around that? You used to, right? You probably, I couldn't walk around that mall and smell that the whole time. There's no way. But let's say I go in and I buy a cinnamon roll, and I'm getting ready to eat my cinnamon roll, and someone comes up and says, I'm taking your cinnamon roll. You're like, hold on. I smelled the cinnamon roll. I'm going to eat this cinnamon roll. They pull out a knife on me. You know what? You can have the cinnamon roll. I'll just go buy myself another one. Because at the end of the day, my life is not worth giving over a cinnamon roll. Right? You'd agree with that. Let's say, ladies, you're in downtown L.A. and you got your purse. And someone comes up to steal your purse. You're going to fight them over it. You will. Your husband, if he's there with you, he'll probably step in. I hope he would step in and help you there. And you're going to struggle, let's say they, you know, you might even be willing to fight a little bit, but then they pull out a gun on you, and you'd be like, you know what, just take the purse, there's nothing in it anyways, go ahead and take it. Well, I don't put a lot in my wife's purse, there's a reason for that, but we'll just, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Guys, good lesson, before she goes shopping, just take the wallet out, and then, you know, she'll think she forgot it, no, I've, I've never done that, I'm just teasing when I say that. You guys are a rough, rough crowd tonight. But... I don't think you would be willing to die and give up your life for your purse. If it came down to it, you'd say, go ahead. Let's say, let's say you're in New York, in Times Square, walking with your children, and someone grabs your children's arm and starts to take them away. You will fight them. They pull a knife out on you, you would still fight them. They pull a gun out, you will fight them and even die to get your child back. Because they're more important than a cinnamon roll or a purse. Do you get what I'm saying here? 
some things are more important to us than other things. So when we think about this, we have a generation today of Christians who have so devalued truth and the faith once delivered to the saints that we allow a godless society and the pressure of political correctness to cause us to back down from the truth of God's word. I will repeat that one more time so you get that tonight. We have a generation of Christians who have so devalued truth and the faith once delivered to the saints that we will allow a godless society and the pressure of political correctness to cause us to back down from biblical truth. Jude says that in their day, it was a danger back then. He's telling them, don't lose your grip on things that matter the most in your faith. Fight for what's right. Stand for what's true. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a few examples. You know, when COVID first hit and things, you didn't hear a lot of things out of me. We kind of just did, went along with things for a little bit. But you heard me start getting a little snappy on some things when the governor tries to tell me how I'm supposed to worship God. I'll fight on that one. You tell me I can't sing to my God, you got to fight on your hands. I'm not going to back down to that one. And yet many Christians bowed the knee to Baal in the process, if we're being honest tonight. Jude, in the book right here, makes it very clear that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. I tell you something tonight, though, the problem is most people don't even know anything about the faith, so what's there to defend? It's a sad day in Christianity that we live. That so many people would be willing to die and give their lives for Christ, and yet we can't stand up for the truth. Our world does not like truth, okay? Our world, I don't know if you figured it out yet, our world doesn't like this book. It's never going to be correct with them. But it doesn't matter if it's correct with them or not. It's God's book, and it's what's right. I don't care what a governor says about it, what a mayor says about it, what a president says about it. God's word is right. There are things worth fighting for. There are things that we as God's people must contend for, because if we don't, what are our children going to have? If we don't stand for the truth today, and I'll explain the truth a little bit more in a second so you understand what I'm talking about. But if we don't stand for truth today, what's going to happen when our children are running the church? They're going to be in trouble. That's why our forefathers fought for things. Talk about our country. We can talk about our country here for a second. And I'm not talking about our country tonight. But our founding fathers, they're pretty smart on a lot of things that they did. Not completely smart, but they're pretty smart on a lot of things that they did. And what is our world trying to do today? Erase all that backing, the, tr the truth of our, the founding of our nation. You rewrite and change history, and then you can do away with the foundation. I believe that it's worth fighting for. But I'll tell you this. I'm not going to fight for America and not fight for Christ. 
And in fact, I'll always fight for Christ much more before I'll fight for my country. And I'm an American through and through. But Christ is where my allegiance is tonight. What's the right response for God's people to fight, to contend for the faith? Number two, what's the reason for this fight? The reason for this fight, what do we fight for? We fight one another. No, 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 no. I think some Christians feel that way. Do you realize some of us are going to be in for a rude awakening? Some of the people you fight the most with, you're going to be spending eternity in heaven with them. And that's a long time. And if God has a sense of humor, which after seeing how he's made some of us in this room, he does, wouldn't it just be wonderful for him to put you right next to the person that annoyed you the most here on earth in your mansion? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You wake up in the morning in your mansion and that person's right there. What's the right reason to fight for the faith? You got to understand, this is what's sad. We have some Christians today who won't stand up and fight for anything. But then we have others who will fight over everything. They fight over the color of the chair in the auditorium. They fight over the color of the building. They fight on if the pastor wears a tie or not to church. Say, Pastor, you used to wear a tie on Wednesday nights. Where's your tie at? Where's yours? Do you have one on? Well, I think a pastor should. Show me in the Bible, please. Anyways, that's just a thought there. I'm not willing to fight on that one. I'm just throwing something out. People fight over the name of a church. They fight over bulletin announcements. They fight over decorations. They fight over food. They fight over all the things that don't matter. The reason, the only fight that should be going on is a fight for the truth. A fight for the faith. Some churches and some Christians seem to be just looking for the next thing to be offended by and the next thing to complain about and to fight over. And that's a sad thing to say in the church today. We should not be fighting with one another over anything. Get over it. Get right with God and do what's right and be a Christian. You say, is it that simple? No, because I struggle with it too. I wish it would be that simple. Wouldn't it be nice if it was that simple where you just get over it? That sounds so easy. It takes a lot of work to get over it. A lot of prayer and a lot of time with the Lord. But we can't, we're not here, we're not, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. Our fight is with Satan. It's a fight against the faith. And we need to be able to stand up, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. I think Paul makes that clear. We're soldiers. He made it clear what to fight for. We look at the end of verse number three. It says, they should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What should we fight for? You see it right there. The faith that was once delivered unto the saints. The system of beliefs that were taught and given once for all by Christ and his disciples not a bunch of our pet peeves, our preferences, or things of that nature. Jude doesn't tell them here to contend 
for overly short togas or overly long hair. We don't see that there. He doesn't tell them to contend over the meaning of obscure words or what color to paint a catacomb back in those days. James, Jude here tells them to contend for the faith. Hey, what should we be contending for tonight? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we contend for tonight. That you cannot get to heaven any other way but through Jesus Christ. You cannot work your way there. It's all him and what he did. That's worth contending for. Hey, tonight, church, this book that I hold in my hand, the Bible, it's worth contending for. It is profitable for life today. It gives us all the things that we need. It's worth standing up for tonight. Hey, we could go, Jesus, the fact that he was sinless, that's worth standing up about tonight. The fact that all the major doctrines that are in the word of God, those are worth standing for and fighting for tonight. You might not like me saying this, but I don't see it say here you need to fight for your favorite political party. Although I am a firm believer in voting biblically and supporting those who stand for biblical values, and we should. If our country, this is our problem today, we are voting people in who will give us what we want, or those who vote for them. Or they rig elections. I don't know. Something there. I don't know. But we should be voting for godly principles. I remember years ago, I would get pretty political during political season. <laughs> Even some people left because of it. And this last time around, I changed the way I talked about it. Because God did some work in me. It's not about the Republican or Democrat. It's about the biblical values. And how could a Christian or a so-called Christian vote for someone who stands for abortion? I do not understand that one. There's a lot of other ones I could go down that road tonight. Don't tell me you're a good Christian and you believe in murder. And don't tell me you're a good Christian and vote for someone who believes that way. What's the right reason to fight tonight for the faith? You don't need to fight for your favorite sports team or contend for your favorite song or your power or position in the church. We contend for the faith that was once delivered faith that Christ gave us, the doctrines he gave us that are found in his word. Fight for what's right, the faith. Number three, we see the right rival. Who's the right rival? Our right rival, false teachers. Those are our rivals. We see in verse number four, right before our very eyes, it says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey church, your rival tonight and our rival is not the other churches around us that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
they might not sing a song the way you would like the song to be sung, but if they're preaching the gospel, they're not our rival. If they believe that Jesus saves, they're not our rival. We're on the same team. There are going to be a lot of people that some people don't, I didn't know that, I didn't know anybody but a Baptist could go to heaven. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't Baptist in heaven. Being Baptist doesn't get you to heaven. Being Baptist should get you to sit in the corner in heaven, I think. But anyways, we'll leave that out. Other Bible preaching churches are not our opponent. That Christian whose personality gets on your nerves, they're not your rival tonight. That family member who disagrees with you on almost anything, they're not your rival tonight. The real enemy to fight against are those who pull away from the truth. Those who teach a gospel and a faith different than what Jesus said in his word. Those who turn the grace of God into the word lasciviousness, unbridled lust, filthy, shamelessness. They make the things of God about themselves and their sinful desires. And we see here that we got to be careful. If there were ungodly men creeping their way in back then, the same thing happens today. And I'll put a little plug right here, and then I'll move on. But don't mess with our doctrine in our church. Keep your hands off of it. You don't agree with a major doctrine that's found this work. You and I might disagree on little things here or there, and I'm okay with that. I'm a big enough boy. I don't, it's okay to dif differ with me. You could be right and I could be wrong, or it could be vice versa. I don't really. But if you knock or go against the major doctrine of what the Word of God says, I will sniff you out, and you'll be out of here quicker than anything, just so you know. I don't put up with that. If you want to teach something contrary to the Word of God and you influence people with it, I will sniff you out, and I will make it known to the world, and that will be the end of it. That's my job as the pastor of this church. That's one of the things God calls a pastor to do. And a lot of pastors aren't strong enough to do it. I will do it. So don't mess with me. Don't, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say don't mess with the Lord's church and his doctrine. Leave him alone or you'll mess with me. So on that note, we think about this. This is what happens. Look at verse 5 through 7. So Jude says, so these, we got to watch out for these false teachers and these things. And they're our rivals. But, and look at what he says. He says, so I put you, I would therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So do you remember? So the children of Israel, they were in Egypt and God delivers them. Remember at, the, at, the, um, at Mount Sinai and you had those that built the calf, and those end up dying there. And there were a couple other times that people died. What happened? They had, they were, they had taken what they had learned in Egypt, and they were infiltrating it into God's people in the wilderness there. Moses is up on the mountain getting God's commandments, and while he's doing that, you had the false teachers rise up 
They build a calf, which is something they would have done in Egypt. They take the gold earrings and things they got in Egypt. They make these things. And what we see happen, we see right before our eyes here, Jude gives an example of what happens. What happens is a, someone, a false teacher who comes in, they will do their best to destroy your church, your family, and everything about you. There were many people that died in Israel because of those false teachers. But he goes even further. He gives the example of the children of Israel. He talks about the angels with Lucifer as well in verse number 6 there. He says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, I am not going to try tonight to break down that whole entire verse for you because there is so much right there. And Louie and I, even on a couple of our hikes, we, di we dive into these things. And Louie's Louis, a student. He asks a lot of questions, and, he, and he's, he's got a lot of questions, which is good. That means he's doing a lot of studying. But when it comes to right here, I will tell you this. There were some fallen angels that were so bad that they ended up getting locked in chains in the bottomless pit. And the only time, th and that was, so you think about this, everyone's thoughts in the book, the Bible says in Genesis 6, this is the Bible, not, this is not a Baptist preacher, so there's no embellishment here. Every thought of every man was evil in that day. It was so wicked and so many crazy things are going on that there were some of those fallen angels that God said, you're done, and he locked them up, and they're chained in hell today. During the tribulation time, they're being guarded by the Apollyon, is the guy who's guarding them. At some point during the tribulation, God is going to unleash them on the earth. You know how the Bible talks about the scorpions and things coming, and it's not, there's not literally these things coming and biting people. It's the torment from these demons that have been chained in hell to this day till they get unchained during that time. That's all there in the Bible. And there's plenty, to, I could go even further there, but I, if I go any further, I'm going from Bible to Brian's opinion on the matter, and so I'll stop at the Bible there. But we see that those fallen angels, it didn't work out very good for them, did it? Follow Satan, did it? It probably would have worked out better for them just to stay in heaven and follow the Lord. But anyways, then we also have Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so we see that there, and think about that city. And I didn't give you point number four, and that's what I should have given you before I went into those three. But you had, so point number four should have been, I should have given this to you a few minutes ago, is the real risk. So we're supposed to contend for the faith, fight for the faith, and we got to watch out for the false teachers because those false teachers and what they drag in leads to ungodly behavior. I should have filled that in there for you. And so I was getting into those demons being chained up in the bottomless pit and stuff like that. But we think about the ungodly behavior. God leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
Moses up on the mountain, and we see the ungodly behavior. They're dancing naked. They're doing all the things that the Egyptians would do. We see with, um, as we look there at Sodom and Gomorrah, think about um, Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Before long, he was engaged, and he lost his family over it. That's what happens. That's why you got to be so careful and why, and why we got to be careful in this church that we don't allow false teachers to creep in to teach a different doctrine because it could totally mess up our families. A church that once is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ could five years later be preaching a works-based gospel and all of our children go to hell because we didn't preach the truth. That's why it's so important to keep the truth. We see number five, the right resources. Now, there are lots of things that you could look at in these verses that I skipped a few in there. And uh, we're just about out of time, so I'm not going to go through all of those. You do see, you learn something about the fact that there was a dispute over the body of Moses. When Moses went up on Mount Pisgah and he died there, the archangel and the devil were fighting over the body of Moses. Anybody have any idea why that would be, why there would be something to that? Moses was highly looked up to by the children of Israel. And I think Satan wanted his body. I, who knows what he wanted to do. But there was a fight that went on. We see that here. We also learn almost more about Enoch here in the book of Jude than we know about him in Genesis chapter number 5. We know that Enoch walked with God and he was taken. That's what the Bible tells in the book of Genesis. We see here that he preached righteousness. He prophesied of these things. And so, as we get to a conclusion tonight, we look at verse 20 through verse 25, we just see the end here, and we see the right resources. The right resources in this fight that we have tonight, they're spiritual, not fleshly. Spiritual, not fleshly. Let's just read verse 20 through verse 25. I'll give you a few last thoughts, and then we'll be on our way. But ye, beloved building up yourselves on the most holy faith, pray in the Holy Ghost. What are the first couple things that you see right there? How do you build up yourselves on the most holy faith? Are you ready? As you read it. The way you build up your faith is to read the Word of God. What does it say next? And pray. Do you see our resources that we have? It starts with reading the Word of God. You know why most Christians tonight don't know what to, what to contend for? Because you don't know the Word of God. And I know you say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You should know the Word of God. I believe that to a degree, but I also think every Christian should know the Word of God. Every Christian. And maybe you might not know it as well as I would because that's what God calls me to do, and it's a privilege to be able to say His Word. But you should know it a lot better than most of us do in this room. But we're supposed to build up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and keep on reading. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Staying close to God. Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. How are we supposed to contend for the faith? What resources, what do we have to do it? You need to be in the Word of God. You need to pray. You need to, as we see here, you need to stay close to the Lord. 
and look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life. Look at what else. And if some have compassion, making a difference. Hey, Christian, you want to make a difference in this world? The best way you can make a difference, have some compassion. It's what our Savior had. Have compassion. If I wrote the Bible and wrote this verse here, I would have added a little something. So this is Brian 2.4. And some have compassion making a difference, and then others don't. You want to make a, You want to leave an imprint in this world and make a difference? Compassion. Besides that, you won't. If you're living selfishly and for yourself and making a name for yourself, you won't make a difference. Compassion makes a difference. And look at it says verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Man, tell others about the Lord. You want to contend for the faith? Get the gospel out. If a building was on fire tonight and you're going home, and there's people in there. Would you try and help? I think most people would. There's people that are bound to hell. Are you having some compassion and reaching out and trying to tell them? I love that, that you and Jules worked to tag team it. And you literally had some compassion on a coworker. And you helped pull them out of the fire. And then we look, and we're just rounding the finish line right here. we got to keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep our focus on Him. But look at verse 24. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory of His exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen. How do we contend for the faith? We read it, we pray, we draw close to Him. We have compassion and reach out to this world with the compassion of Jesus Christ. And we always keep in our mind that it's Him who is preserving us and got a hold of us, not us having a hold of Him. I am so glad that he's the one who keeps me from falling. It's not on me. He does. That's what it's all about. Christian, we must always contend for the faith. Not fight with one another, but fight for the faith. Father.